Tuesday is election day. Early in-person voting ended over the weekend and it's too late to mail your mail ballot. If you still have a mail-in ballot, you can drop it off at your county's supervisor of elections office or take it with you to your assigned precinct on election day and exchange it for an in-person ballot. You can find more information about voting on our website, wmnf.org slash election. You can also find links to information about some of the lesser known races on the ballot, like judges. We will carry Democracy Now!'s election night special beginning at 9 in the evening Tuesday on our HD3 channel, The Source. You can listen on an HD radio on WMNF.org, on the WMNF Community Radio app, or by telling your smart speaker to play WMNF's HD3. Yo, this is George Dr. Funkenstein Clinton, and you're listening to WMNF Tampa. They do the dog, y'all. Here comes the sun, here comes the sun, Good morning, this is Annie Ellis, and welcome to the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF 88.5, Tampa, 88.5, where uh, every Monday at 11, we bring you a conversation with local experts on sustainable issues. Today's guest is Melanie Kahn, and this she is a first-time author uh, of a book, and the name of it is Mason Goes Mushrooming, and we'll also be talking about mushroom uh, foraging. Now, you can participate uh, on the air uh, by uh, calling 813-239-9663 or email at dj at wmnf.org or you can text, which will come up as an email, at 813-433-0885. And today I am um, the, a single host. Uh, Kenny is uh, out in being a, a book writer doing signings and talks and educational visits. I think he's up in Lake in, in uh, uh, New York. I was going to say Buffalo. So yeah, I think he's in New York. And so we look forward to having him back. But I got to say, uh, this weekend was fantastic. Kitty Wallace and uh, Lena, they had a wonderful uh, dinner uh, farm to table at their place at the um, um, the temp, uh, the Temple Terrace, not Temple Terrace. It's the uh, Tampa Heights um, Community Garden, and uh, I'm sure it was just a beautiful event. And then also uh, uh, Sweetwater Farm. You guys, if you haven't been out there, you need to go out there. I went again for a uh, teaching segment with uh, Rick Martinez, who started uh, Sweetwater Farm. But uh, they had music, and they're selling food, and there's all kinds of vendors, and it was just really a lot of fun. So I recommend y'all going out there and checking it out. And, uh, and before we introduce Melanie, I'm going to have Kitty Wallace come on, and she's going to be telling us uh, about what uh, events will be coming up for you to guys to be interested in. So let me see if I can't get her on. Hey, Kitty, are you there? Hey, yes. Hey, Annie. Hey, good morning. (laughs) Yeah, I wanted to tell folks about some of the events coming up. November is such a beautiful month weather-wise. Yes, it is. Get out and do all kinds of stuff. Uh, First up is the Sustany Foundation Sustainable Buzz coming up Thursday evening at the Tampa Garden Club. First time for that venue. And this is the 
Sustainable Business Awards, and they have so, so many uh, interesting young businesses doing, uh, devoting their business practices to sustainability and care for the earth. So that is an event at the Sustany Foundation Sustainable Buzz Thursday evening. The live music and fun um, and uh, an opportunity to congratulate those businesses that are outstanding. Uh, also, there's the Homegrown Hillsboro website that ha- is featuring summer squash. So if you're housebound and you just are poking around for things to do, try the Homegrown Hillsboro website, and there are recipes and things about the different seasonal vegetables. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of that grown. one before. That's nice. Absolutely. Something coming up. And yeah. then the, um, the Sustainable Urban Agriculture Coalition in St. Petersburg has their uh, monthly meeting tonight every first Monday at 6.30 at the Enoch Davis Recreation. And tonight it's going to be all about time banking with a potluck dinner. Well, so I wanted to something. wanted to say something about that because yeah. I didn't know what that meant. And what that yeah. meant is is that I'm a gardener. I can help you with your gardening. You're an electrician. You can help me with your, uh, your skills. So everybody has a different skill set, and they put their uh, abilities into this time bank, and then we can all draw from it. Right. We swap time from each other's It's wonderful. Or, you know, I, I didn't know that existed. Yes, yes. That's been around for a while now. Yeah. Quite, there are some um, areas, especially in St. Pete, they're quite active with the time banking. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also SUAC, a Sustainable Urban Agriculture Coalition, is having a farm tour next Saturday. They're going down to the Daystar Life Center, and they have a wonderful garden there and a wonderful uh, wellness uh, approach to uh, what they're doing with their clients, and so it's a it's a farm tour um, on next Saturday the twelfth. Uh, Tampa Bay Watch. Now this is cool. If you don't have anything to do on like a Wednesday or a Thursday, they are doing an oyster shell project out in the bay, and they need volunteers to help them place these oyster shells. They're creating some um, banks of mitigation for the waves and so on, and they're using oyster shells. So it's a fun project. They're also doing some other oyster uh, activities on the following week. But this week, Wednesday and Thursday, go vote on Tuesday if you haven't already. Yes. And then Wednesday and Thursday, you can go play with the oyster shells in the bay. (laughs) Is that to grow new oysters or is it to... uh, It is uh, to create a a reef. Um, um, mitigation to the wind and the waves. Oh, very uh, good to help it from yeah. washing away and washing away the sand. Very good. Um, Tampa Bay Water is ha- have a, have a few more days left of their grant. So, if you have a good idea of a way to um, help improve the quality of the water in your area, you can take a look at the Tampa Bay Water grant that comes around at this time every year. So the deadline is November the 11th. So if you're um, with a Cub Scout group or any kind of group. A nonprofit group? Right, a nonprofit group that could have the manpower to do a project. You could take a look and see. I'm really glad you're bringing that up because there's a lot of grants out there that most people just don't know how to write for. There are. And and if they're by a a nonprofit organization like the Tampa Garden Club, which I'm going to mention their next, grant is due uh, November 15th. It's not complicated. It's uh, a, a grant for a community uh, to uh, improve 
either an, an environmental aspect or a beautification aspect of something that they want to improve. And oh. so it's called a community growth grant, and they can look on the Tampa Garden Club website and just download that, and it takes like 15 minutes to fill out if even that. That's so, wonderful, Kitty. That's a good one. Also, November 19th, here's my last one. Okay, I was going to ask. <laughs> to, the, I, I <laughs> uh, to the St. Pete Youth Farm, who's having a family fest on November 19th out at the St. Pete Youth Farm. So good luck to those guys in that event, and I, I know they'll have a good one. That's All wonderful. Right, well, well, hey, thank you. And also, y'all, uh, listening out there, it, this will be on our um, uh, connection on Facebook. So you can just right, click the links, everything. and you'll be able to find these places. So y'all yeah. uh, be active on the Facebook, and, and it makes it a lot easier than having to replay. Yeah. However, you can replay on uh, listening on demand anytime. So there's that. All right. See you later. Thanks, Bye. Kitty, as always. Bye-bye. Okay, now for the main uh, objective here is we have a wonderful lady, uh, woman, uh, Melanie Kahn. And uh, she is a first-time author. Uh, you know, I, also, I forgot to ask, I wanted to let y'all know that I just want to thank Bill for being on the boards, and I also want to thank Greg for answering the calls. We could not do this without them. And, you know, also... If you want to listen to anything about mushrooms, we're going to be talking about the importance of foraging from wild mushrooms and the benefits of getting children back out into the natural world. And, you know, just like everything else, once you start to see mushrooms when you're out there, you cannot unsee them, and they open up a whole new world. So, Melanie is our first-time author, and she's a long-time forager. She was a child when she was starting to forage, actually, and she started uh, in Vermont at night in 1968 at the age of four, y'all. So mm -hmm. it's not too early to start, uh, or not too late to start either. And that's when her family of artists bought a farm in West uh, Brattleboro, her specialty is foraging with children. So for over 20 years, Melody has volunteered, um, Melanie, excuse me, has volunteered to lead nature center and school groups on woodland walks to gather and identify edible mushrooms. And her curriculum includes the culinary aspects of wild mushrooms through recipes, cooking demonstrations, and tastings. Thank you so much for being on the show, Melanie. Oh, Annie, what a lovely introduction. Thank oh, you for having me. You're lovely yourself. You're welcome. Uh, you know, I have your book right in front of me, actually, so I can look at the beautiful uh, pictures in it. The, the, uh, it's a wonderful book about foraging, but I got to say, the illustrations are fantastic. Yeah. Uh, the, the artist, I thought it was, it feels so childlike, uh, which is very appropriate for a children's book, uh, but it's all watercolors and it's uh, very childlike and it's just beautiful. So kudos to you for getting Ellen on to come and collaborate with you. Well, thank you. Ellen um, makes us all look good, right? Yeah, <laughs> she, I'm telling you, this book is beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mason Goes Mushrooming is certainly a collaboration. She is a very talented yes. watercolorist. Yeah. So when you started this book, what made you want to write this? Because this, you're a first-time author, and all of a sudden you wrote this book. And I know Mason is your son's name, so how did, why did you do this? 
Annie, that's a great question. I'm asking myself. Yeah, uh, yeah, Mason is now 20 years old. Oh my goodness. And yeah, yeah. He's a, he's in college out in Colorado, and he's still an avid forager. Oh, very good. He, yeah. Our whole family foraged together as my kids were growing up, and I foraged with my parents when I was growing up, and I've been leading children into the woods to look at, examine, touch, feel, experience all of the wild things in the woods, not just mushrooms. Yes. You know, kids get excited about newts and salamanders and frogs and, and moss. lichen and moss, moss and all those things. Yeah. And the woods is this wonderful environment for mm-hmm. curious kids to be, you know, let loose to explore. And it's very helpful to have you know, I, I, enough knowledge to share with them and let them learn a little bit themselves. Yeah. And so that's what I decided to during, you know, this last couple of years that was a little bit locked down. Um, Ellen and I uh, collaborated on Mason Goes Mushrooming as a basically a pandemic project. Yeah, I was but, just going to say, that's the the beauty that came out of the pandemic for you. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, nice. and I think mushroom foraging in general, Annie, became very popular. Because mm-hmm. it's singular or can well, be. Well, it, it's not only that, but it's free, it's yeah. accessible, it's outdoors, mm-hmm. so it was safe. Um, I know for a fact that the mushroom groups all, all around America, their uh, membership just exploded during the pandemic. And they now have a lot more people interested. Mushrooms are having their moment. I they like really are having their moment. A lot of people are interested in mushroom foraging now. Yeah, and I'll be really curious to hear if um, any of the listeners are calling. Who, you know, what's going on uh, in Florida with with mushroom foraging and mushrooms in general? Are are, are folks interested in them? Mm-hmm. And um, what are some of the ways that uh, they can learn more about them that are both, you know safe as well as really intriguing and, you know, additive to their family life. Well, and they're just, they're beautiful too. I mean, even if you're not even going to eat them, just looking for them is a a beautiful thing, you know, to begin with. Well, Uh, you said it in your intro. Once you start to see all the mushrooms around us, you can't really not see them and you start to understand just how essential they are to our existence. Oh my goodness. have yes. been, they've been slight. They've gotten a bad reputation. So I, I feel like uh, I'm, I'm, I'm here to represent the mushrooms. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, without the, you know, the fungi uh, under the ground that is not the part we see, we see the fruiting part. Uh, we wouldn't have all the breakdown of all the woods and the, the nutrients and uh, all the microsia that's giving all the information to all the roots and all the living things. Um, it's feeding them. So... That's pretty you bet. amazing. That's just the part we see is the part mm-hmm. on top. So let me, while since we don't have any calls in, I want to go ahead and give that out again in case anybody's interested in foraging because I'm really interested in the foraging. But we uh, we had somebody and we don't have them today. Uh, something happened. And so uh, I got to say, getting somebody to uh, talk about foraging has not been an easy uh, trial. So we're going to talk to you, Melody, about foraging too, not just Great. the book. But uh, if you want to participate, just go ahead and call 813-239-9663 or email dj at wmnf.org or text at 813-433-0883. Um, and now, what's the difference? between the wild mushrooms found in the woods and mushrooms that you buy in the, or someone buys in the supermarket? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, the difference is fairly uh, profound, I would say. Uh, 
the the generic you know white capped mushroom that you get at the supermarket the is a cultivated the buttons yeah. yeah that's a cultivated mushroom they're mm-hmm. they're grown you know commercially throughout the U.S. and they're they're not without benefits they're nutritionally very valuable they're uh, wonderfully tasty if you cook them with a nice um, little bit of 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 fat of butter, butter. Or olive oil give them a little <laughs> you know treat them like you would treat meat and mm-hmm. say that for any cooking of any mushroom you want to give it that nice crispy outer layer that really brings out the flavor um, of the mushrooms. But if you are exploring the culinary aspect of wild mushrooms, you will find that they are uniquely and distinctively flavored. uh, Mm -hmm. And same with their texture can be quite different. So it's, there's a gastronomical piece to it. There's a cooking piece to it. There's of course the treasure hunt piece to it. And then there's the learning of the beginner mushrooms. And in, in Mason Ghost Mushroom, there's four beginner mushrooms and they are uh, divided up by season, four mushrooms, four recipes, four little adventures, the trees that are associated with the mushrooms. It's all tucked into the storytelling so that the, the world of, as you suggested, the connection between the mushroom, the tree, what's happening underground is all sort of coming up in the fruiting body of the mushroom. You know, it's and a, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, no, no, no. I was going to just say that when you're saying that, it made me think of something because <clears throat> I I eat the honey ring mushrooms because that's really the only one I know. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they come up in my yard off <laughs> of oak roots. And so that's a really important factor that you just, I think, brought up is that if you know the tree, you're going to know what type of mushroom is going to be drawn to that tree mm-hmm. in general, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that's one of the skills of foraging is knowing the forest and not just the mushroom, right? That's right. And you also bring up another interesting point, Annie. You, you've been eating those mushrooms year, year after year. They've been coming up on that tree yeah. year after year. So when learning how to forage, I always suggest people connect up with a, you know, a local group, a local walk, or, or a local forager, somebody who has been out before and knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And starts to experience just what you described. I picked honey mushrooms in my backyard under an oak tree. So think of all the knowledge that, you know, is in that one sentence. And then I can eat them year after year because I know that they have been, you know, vetted for lack of a better term. And that's how one begins to build a repertoire of learning mushrooms. I, I am still, you know, 50 years into it, adding to my repertoire, I, I add about one mushroom a year that I become really familiar with and really well versed in. And I've learned it from, you know, experiencing it live and in the woods and then eating it with somebody else who has shown it to me. Right. So th- there are ways to make this a quite safe hobby and experience and pastime, um, much more so than is, I think, you know, commonly understood. Yeah, I think that it's, there's a lot of fear involved, you know, because you can eat all mushrooms, but some of them just one time. and uh we have a call online so i think we ought to answer him and uh and uh, talk to dave dave are you there hi there hi dave what do you have to talk about mushrooms today Uh, well i'm enjoying the show i want to compliment you both it's very informative and it's a great show um I've done some very, very low-level amateur foraging. I live over here in Lakeland. Uh-huh. And um, I, we have a particular 
mushroom that comes up over here certain times of year, always on oak root. Yeah. I've looked it up. I'm identifying it as Bolitas ruby citrinus. And I was curious if, if either of you are familiar with this. How about you, uh, Melanie? So, yeah, Dave. Well, first of all, shout out to you for, you know, knowing the Latin, there really. and doing that <laughs> and, and looking it up. That So the Belitas family of mushrooms is a pretty, I'm, I'm going to call it, um, you know, not super advanced, but a, a medium advanced mushroom. If you're going to break them up into, you know, ones that I would call sort of fairly beginner and um, with very few lookalikes, very few problems you can have. And of, of those, there's, you know, at least a, a dozen or so. Um, the Belitas family of mushrooms, which are the ones for the, for the listeners who may be thinking about what they've seen in mushrooms, when you turn them over, they have a very spongy underbottom that literally has sponge in it. And when people are describing mushrooms to me, I always say, if you send just the top picture of a mushroom, it's like sending a picture of a person with a bald head. And you just send <laughs> their bald head. And you, you say, who is, who is this? And I say, I don't know, that's a bald head, right? So <laughs> you have funny. to turn the mushroom over in order to identify it. That's where its face is, right? And with a, a Belitis, it will have a spongy bottom and it will look like literally your kitchen sponge. And that will tell you that it is in the the genus of a, of, of a Belitis. And then within that genus, there's going to be different species of it. And so you would have to, um, you know, really start diving into some of the layers. What are some of the other characteristics? I like to say, Dave, that Can nothing on them. Yeah, go ahead. I, I just wanted to f uh, add a few more details here. Uh, sure. I've, forged, I've been watching them for years. And I say I foraged them, but I'm still afraid to eat them. But mm -hmm. a couple of years, a couple of years back, I took samples, put them in a plastic bag, and sent it to the University of Florida. Oh, very good. And got back positive ID. So I know it is the ruby citrus. It's the one that's got almost a lemony flavor. If you were to touch your tongue to the top mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm basically trying to find out if there's anyone around here who's eaten them. And if there are some good recipes, I can picture it going good with a white wine sauce. Mm, that sounds mm. lovely. So obviously, I'm I'm I, without seeing a mushroom, can't really you know speak to this particular group and whether or not you can eat those particular ones. I do think that there are folks down there who who share an interest and an enthusiasm for foraging. Yes, and what you did was incredibly smart. Yeah, to send it to to um scientists to identify yeah yeah um but so as my, far as my doctor my doctor told me a story of one of his patients who died slowly from failing liver Ugh. because he got interested in mushrooms and the cautionary tale sort of worked on me yeah sure well yeah. you're smart to to wait to know that's for sure yeah and uh, you don't need to eat it in order to enjoy the fact that you're finding it um, if you want to experiment with cooking different types of, of wild culinary mushrooms, there are an enormous number of mushrooms at this point that are being cultivated. Um, oh, yeah, we have a cactus hat. Cactus yeah. hat. Uh, he does uh, bags of uh, inoculated spores, and mm -hmm. you can buy that and grow them at your mm -hmm. own house. And he has mm -hmm. quite a few mm -hmm. that you can grow. Well, my uh, sister-in-law took me out in... Uh, North Georgia on her land, and we foraged for some wild chanterelles. Oh, nice. And I heard the 
still the best I've ever tasted. Oh yeah, the, yeah. The aroma, oh, yeah. everything was. It was, you know. Well, it's really fresh tasty. too. There's that, right? Yeah, you're getting it yeah, right there. And and chanterelles, Dave, are are what I would consider a, a fairly beginner mushroom. I mean, so much so that I I I put it in in my book. Well, as, it's as obvious, one of the ones. though. The, the look of it is very obvious. A chanterelle. Yeah. Yeah, and it does have it does have mushrooms that look like it. Mm-hmm. But again, if you have um, picked enough chanterelles and foraged with groups and so on, they become quite identifiable. And I love that you had yeah. that experience, Dave, of eating them yeah, and realizing how choice they are. Dave, do you have anything else to say about it or another question? Because yeah, yeah. we, we're, we're on the air for a while. And you can move on. The bolitas that uh, grow here so abundantly in the spring and fall when the temperature is just right. Yeah. If you if you bruise them down there in the yellow sponge, they turn this beautiful color of blue at the oh. bruise point. Oh, yep. how pretty. Yeah, with oxidation, yeah. yep. Well, I... Um, I was I was a little scared when my sister-in-law said, here, let's, let's eat these chanterelles. I was like, really? Is that safe? And she's like, sure, there are look-alike species that are not edible or are uh, not preferred but they bloom at different times of year so she knew you were with a yeah. uh, person that had foraging uh information and i think yeah. that that's the key right yeah right it was generational that was local yeah some other farmer showed her how to get them very good well thank you so much for calling in dave we'll have Enjoy. some local um uh foraging uh groups that you can it will be listed on our Facebook page so you can check that out maybe they'll be able to help you if you have pictures and so on I'm sure okay so now we have another uh, online let's see Bill Bill you're online are are you there oh we can barely hear you hello Bill Yes. Oh, can you turn your radio off or down? Because so, we're hearing it as a backdrop. Okay. Sure. Sure. Okay. There you go. What you What do you have to talk about, Bill? About mushrooms? Yeah. Yeah. She was talking about walking around Vermont. Yeah, I love Vermont. I'm, I'm so- from Rhode Island. Okay. Hello? Yes, yes. What do we need to talk yeah. about mushrooms? Yes. Yes. I used to I used to I used to camp out. I used to do from the camping there. Uh-huh. Were you a mushroom yeah. forager, Bill? Yeah, I was I I used to I used to forage herbivores. Okay. Yeah, for for mushrooms and how how the natural vegetation existed and everything. Very good. Yeah. Very yeah. good. That, uh, yeah, I think Paul. You- uh, uh, tell us, the place is called Paulette, Vermont. Paulette, Vermont. Sure. Paulette, Vermont, and uh, that's where I used to go foraging and, and and check things out. Well, Bill, you're not the first person who has talked to me about remembering foraging either as a young person with their grandparents or with their parents or as an activity that was taught to them at one point and they might have had an interest in, but then sort of it faded away, but now it's coming back. And foraging for some reason 
really does stay with us as a connection, a deep connection to the, to the natural world and to nature. So uh, I've often heard uh, Bill people these? talk about having a memory of foraging in some at some part of their life and how meaningful it was to them. Yeah, that's that. That was part of my question was was that I I I, I love I, I I love the walking around there uh-huh. and, and 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 doing doing all that doing out doing all that research, you know, I, 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 I learned, I learned on, uh, on the backfield of, of, of a cow field mm-hmm. in Vermont, you know, and the elevation there is, is like at 21, 2200 feet, and mm-hmm. I had about, about, about 50,000 acres to myself. Wow, that's wonderful. Hey, Bill, yeah, I don't want me to cut you off, but we have about 10 emails uh, that we need to get to. So it's nice to hear from you, Thank Bill. you so Shout much for calling. <laughs> Appreciate it. Yeah, I, I was up there with 50,000. 50, have, have a great day, uh, Bill. We're going to yeah. let you go, okay? Bye-bye. Take care, Bill. All right, we have a lot of emails, uh, and Bill's going to announce do. them. All right, the first one we've got here, um, don't have a name. It came in through text, and it's just a question in general. I'm a first-time strawberry grower, and oh. the tiny grows, growers just have 12 plants, and the bright new young leaves come in, and should I cut the original long limbs or just let no, them go? No, let it, let it go. Let it go. Um, just let it go and l- for a while and see how it works for you. Don't overreact. People tend to over-love uh, things or over-water things or over-trim things. Just let it go. Don't always trim the dead off of everything. And now that we got that out of the way a little bit, uh, the rest of these are more to the topic. Okay. Got one from uh, David Bryant, regular, and thank you, Dave, for participating says, I saw a great documentary called Fantastic Fungi at the Tampa mm. Theater a while back, and I see heads nodding in here. Oh, yeah, it's wonderful. And uh, it was a great, great movie, and now it's on Netflix, and I highly recommend it to listeners to it, check it on it's out. It's so great. I highly recommend it as well. You too, Melanie, yeah. right? Uh, Fantastic Fungi, who is uh, a film made by Louis Schwartzberg. If, if folks, your listeners have not seen it, it is a spectacular film. It's beautifully and filmed, too. It's so beautiful. The, the mythological uh, uh, cinematography that he does, of mm-hmm. the slow motion of watching the mushrooms come yes. out, it really is awe-inspiring. It is. It's very National Geographic in scale of how beautifully done it is. And plus, the guy, the man that is involved in that is just brilliant. So there's that. Paul Stamets. Yeah, he's yeah. wonderful. Um, and so we actually have another call. It's David. I, I don't think it's going to be the same, David, but we'll we'll see. Uh, David, do you have something to share with us on um, the uh, mushrooms? Yes, actually, I do. Um, first of all, you know, I just got into the world of mushrooms, and I have Very to be good. honest, I, I do not like them. I never like them. I think they're slimy when they're cooked. Okay. However, I have mad respect for them. I think they're. You know, after seeing, like you said, Magic Fungi, uh, that was a fantastic documentary, and I, I love it, and I have, so I have a tremendous amount of respect for them, and I would like to get into being able to eat them. Uh, my question stems from, is it possible to eat them raw, and is it, do, you, do you have any, is it better to eat them raw? Because 
if they're raw, I can stand them. If they're cooked, and they're style like because they're slimy. Oh, they're maybe not being cooked properly. David, I I have, uh, first of all, this is a fantastic question, and um, I want to break it up into two two quick responses. The first is, you are not alone. There are many people that do not, (laughs) there are many people that do not like mushrooms, and a lot of what I hear, especially from children, is that they don't like the texture of them. Right. Exactly, that's exactly what it is. Right. So that's what maybe you're calling the slimy bit, yeah. whatever. And the do, do not eat them raw That and definitely don't eat wild mushrooms raw. In general, eating mushrooms raw is not a great idea. And we can go into that or not. But just, let's just put that action. aside. Yeah, yeah. Don't eat them raw. But, but let me give you a little tip on cooking them. Okay. Um, treat your... First of all, buy a decent mushroom. Go to the supermarket and get a, you know, a portobello or a, or the shiitakes that they have there. Get something other than just a, you know, white mushroom. Get get something that looks a little bit more interesting. Maybe you have a good local um, food store that carries some. Even some places carry locally foraged mushrooms. The oyster mushrooms are uh, in a lot of places, which are delightful. Right, and so then slice them up as you would a thin cut of meat. And put them in, um, take some butter or olive oil or coconut oil or whatever your preferred fat is, and put them in a frying pan and let that go up on a fairly high heat, not smoking, but a, a fairly high heat. Get that pan nice and hot and put them in with a lot of room between them so they do not steam. Okay. You want each one to get brown, take a pair of tongs, get them brown on all sides and flip them just once or twice, okay. so they really get nice and crispy with that lovely, what you imagine the outside char of a nice, well-cooked steak looks like. Mm-hmm. Take them off of the flame, put them on a, on a plate, and when I'm, when I'm doing this with kids, I always have a wonderful time because I have them hold up the sea salt as high as they can <laughs> up above and you know, make sure some of it lands on the floor, like really let it, you know, spread that sea salt around, but do it from a very high place so it sprinkles, right? And then when they're still warm and crispy, taste them with that light sprinkle of sea salt and see if you can get that umami flavor from them without the texture. They will be, and the recipes in Mason Goes Mushrooming, there's four recipes. Most of them are basically uh, adding a nice high heat fat, whether it's in the oven or in a frying pan. And wait for it. You have to wait for it. You can't rush it. Be a little patient. Yeah, you have to wait for it. Yeah. Sure. So try that. Babe. See if you can see if you can start to enjoy some of those background flavors um, that are in okay. them. We're getting along so, on time. Uh, do you have something real quick? Yeah. Can I ask one more question? Real quick and a short so, answer. Okay. So the um, nutritional value doesn't leave the mushroom when you cook, when you cook it like that way. What about when you use it in soup? Do you still get the nutritional value? A hundred percent. I saute everything before anything goes into a soup. Never put okay. anything without saute. Don't you think it makes the sugars happen better? Yeah. The, and, and the nutritional values of mushrooms could be its own show. Yeah, I was just uh, going to ask you about that, but yeah. I, I mean, right. it's off the charts. I, I'm, I'm going to say one quick thing about this. Yeah. I believe you should eat the mushrooms from where you live, if oh. you can. Because they are absorbing all of the wonderful nutritional aspects of the soil in which you live. Mm-hmm. And there's been research done that when you ingest your local foods from where you live, you actually improve your immunity. Yeah. And think about all of the things that those mushrooms are absorbing. The minerals is unbelievable. And that yeah. then you're feeding your body with. So Very good uh, point, Melanie. Yeah. 
Thank you so much for taking my call. You're Great welcome, Dave. Life. Thank you for calling. Great question. Bye-bye. Uh-oh, we lost the other guy. He didn't wait long enough. I'm so sorry. But we do have a couple more emails for sure. And uh, All right, we've got one from Bubba who always has a different facet or a different <laughs> look on things. And he goes, I remember some of my college classmates searching for shrooms and cow pastures oh, east yeah. of Sarasota. And they'd be tripping. <laughs> Is that, uh, do we have more? Yes, we do. Okay. Um, somebody wrote on in, um, hope I'm saying it right, mycelium helps trees and the forest communicate and share nutrients and become sort of the way to speak for large organisms instead of just a single tree. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly. And another? And then one last one here. Love the subject. This is from Bob. Although I'm still... Learning mushrooms, plant foraging is my favorite at the moment. Great resources out there on earthweed.com. Yeah, earth, eat the weed, I'm sorry, like eattheweed.com, oh, a yeah, traditional schools great. of herbal mm-hmm. studies. Thanks for the diversity of your show and can't wait to be there in December. Bob. Yeah, he's going to be on the show and he's an herbalist and an acupuncturist. He is so incredibly knowledgeable. It's going to be great. Any more? Um, well, yeah, we've got um, one here. Uh, jo- um, let's see what this one. I live with several acres with numerous types of trees. I have photographed like seven types of mushrooms, but I dare not try them. <laughs> or I know that there are some that you can only eat once. Any yes. suggestions on how to better identify the bounty I have? This is from Rich in Brooksville. Yeah. Let me um, let me just speak to this, Andy, because it, yes. you said earlier that there are not as many foraging groups down there, or it wasn't as easy to find one as you couldn't get a call back. Imagined, uh-huh. yeah. So so there is a very flourishing uh, community online. Of um, there's something called the Nas- the North American Mycological Association. There's something called iNaturalist, um, the letter I and then the word naturalist, and you can upload your photograph of a mushroom. And it will be crowdsourced and identified by That's what, what I would describe as some pretty passionate, pretty, yeah, pretty knowledgeable who know people. Stuff. Yeah. yeah. So there are scientific ways to do this online, which are not, um, you know, they're, they're research driven. iNaturalist is a, is a whole uh, research project of crowdsourced photographs of mushrooms. And I highly recommend checking it out. It's free, it's easy, and there's a wealth of knowledge on it. Okay. You know, we have another call. My goodness, this is a popular subject, apparently. And we have uh, someone, I think it's Quay. Is that your name? Guilty as charged. It's like men of the earth. Okay. What do you have to say today, Quay, about the mushroom? I actually have a question. Okay. She forages for them and and others have. uh, And and that is, I am a big observer of of nature itself. Uh, I go out for long walks in the woods and all, and I've watched um, deer and squirrels eat certain mushrooms. Mm -hmm. If they're eating that mushroom, does it mean I can eat that mushroom? (laughs) Uh, So, Quay, that's a fantastic question also. Um, And uh, the black trumpet mushroom, which is a wonderful beginner mushroom, uh, in my book, uh, Mason follows the deer tracks to the black trumpets because he knows that the deer snack on them. And there are are many mushrooms that uh, are eaten by animals. Um, it does not necessarily correlate 
to not so much their edibility, but whether they taste good to us. Yeah. So one of the common misunderstandings about mushrooms is that they're all poisonous. That's not actually the fact. What it is, is a lot of them don't taste good. Right. So they may not cause you any ill effects, but you're not going to want to eat them because they're bitter or they're too spicy or they just don't have any flavor. But animals don't seem to care so much about that. So it's just not a metric that I would use about edibility. I would, I would, you know, obviously there's toxicity as one, but then flavor would be the bigger one. I can agree with that from eating acorns. You know, they eat acorns all the time. I've tried the acorns. Acorns aren't that good. Roast them. <laughs> you can roast them, though, and that changes the sugar content. I have a friend. Well, actually, it was Tanya. Uh, who used to run the show here. She's uh, roasting acorns up in their new property in Virginia, and they, they love them. They're delicious. Oh, really? Do you take the, uh, the, the cap off them first? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, you want them to be ripe. You don't want it to be a green acorn. You want it to be a ripe acorn. Maybe that was the difference. You need it to drop from the cap. You know, and the other thing that I, I uh, noticed that the animals don't do, they never eat them all. They eat, oh. they leave part of the, the cap around, and I guess they, they know that that's necessary for more mushroom. That's really interesting how Mother they Nature works. Behind, so. Yeah. All right. Well, great show as always. You guys do a great job. Thank Keep you. They help you. Thanks oh, for what, calling, Quay. What's, what's the title of your, uh, of your guest book? It's Mason Goes Mushrooming. And if you go on Facebook on, to, on our site for uh, Sustainable Living, there'll be a link for you to be able to uh, find it. Mason. It's a beautiful a, book. Yeah, um, I have a website, Quay, called Mason Goes Mushrooming, where a lot of the resources that I've spoken about are listed uh, under a resource page. There's also a, a full read-aloud of the book. I'm trying to make it very accessible because it is ultimately geared... Uh, to kids and to parents with the idea that um, the getting back into nature is a wonderful um, thing for kids, not only f from the foraging point of view, but just, you know, let's let's get back the out outside. There. Yeah. Well, yeah. Florida is a place where you, if you starve to death in Florida, if you get lost in the woods, you starve to death. You don't know what you're doing. Well, you shouldn't be out there by yourself then, right? <laughs> well, no, but I mean, there's plenty of stuff to eat out there. You can live yeah, there in is. the forest and, you know, never have to go to the store. Yeah. Oh. Well, peace be upon you all, and again, thanks for the show. Thank you very, very much happy. for calling. Have a great day. Bye. Okay. Well, um, we want to talk about your book. I mean, we've been talking a little bit, but not that much. Uh, and it is your first-time book, so I want everybody to go out and get it because it's uh, something that is going to be a sustainable product and a, for people to learn how to be in nature. I mean, that is sustainable, you know, learning that such things. So what do you, you wrote the book, uh, but then what did you hope that happens because of uh, Mason Goes Mushrooming? Annie, to be honest, conversations like this. Yes. The, yeah. to, this is, I don't know what it means that we've had 100% men calling in. I, I, That's I, interesting, isn't it? I, I don't know what that means, but I love it. Yeah. That, you know, there's this across the board sort of, you know, interest out there from all these unexpected places. Mm -hmm. And uh, raising the dialogue, um, as I said earlier, trying to maybe push back a little bit on the reputation that, um, that mushrooms have somehow inadvertently <laughs> been placed with. And also, as you said, the, 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 the point of, of being out in nature and the point of this world that's all around us, it, 
we have to start somewhere. We have yeah. to have entry entrances. We have to have invitations. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a sense, a calling card to have these kind of conversations. Um, so I'm very grateful to, to all the interest and, and to the fact that people are opening their eyes through movies like Fantastic Fungi. Yeah. You know, books like Mason Goes Mushrooming. You've got, you've got a new, when I set out to write this book, there were no other books available to children. About really? Wow. Origin from mushrooms, period. That's it interesting. It just so taboo. Yeah, so, because it's a scary thing for some... Well, people make it scary. I think that's really mm-hmm. what it is. It's not really scary, but people make it scary. So when what are uh, other books that you're interested in that you think would be good for beginners learning about mushrooming? Well, there's two other books that I that I hold as my sacred Bibles, not necessarily right. so much about mushrooming, um, although the first one is... Uh, there's a book called um, The Entangled Life oh, by yes. Marlon Sheldrake. Oh, my God. Is it the best book I, ever? It's mind-blowing. It's not a children's book. No. Um, and I recommend listening to it on Audible because he has a gorgeous British accent, oh. and he's very knowledgeable, and he's a terrific writer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I listened to it. I'm now on my second go-through. It's mm-hmm. just filled with the most... M- mind-bending fungal facts mm-hmm. that you could ever imagine. So that's my would be my first recommendation. If you're a parent and you're curious about um, the benefits of being out in nature for your children, I love Richard Louv's book, which is um, Last Child in the Woods about nature deficit disorder and how important it is for our children to have a personal, up-close and direct relationship with you know the land around them, whether it's the playground, the park, cemetery, the sidewalk, the forest, they need to be, you know, outdoors. Yeah. Uh, so those are the two. And then for for, for mushroom books, um, I love David Fisher and Alan Bissett. Those are books that are, uh, again, on my, uh, listed as, as resources on my website. Okay. Uh, fantastic mushrooms books available out there more and more because as we said when we started the show mushrooms are having their moment they really are people are starting to think about it well you know you could only get the button mushrooms uh, previously and then then the uh the uh ones what are the big ones i can't even think of it just went portobellos yeah portobellos are like you know have been the thing for a little while but then you know there's they're starting to get the oysters out there Mm -hmm. and the chanterelles and Mm -hmm. uh and then i know uh i i bought some forage chanterelles at a farm uh, that they had somebody, it was actually um, at Meacham Farm store. And so there's, wow. you know, it's out there. You just have to look for it. And you can grow your own too. Uh, but so what is uh, your personal process uh, for writing the mus- uh, Mason Ghost Mushrooming? Oh boy, Annie, difficult. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if any of your listeners have ever, you know, sat down and said, oh, I have this idea. Yeah. I'm going to go out and do it. Right. It's, it was harder than it, I thought it was the going first to be. words are the yeah. hardest, aren't they? And, and, and children are a very discerning audience. Yeah. They, they don't, you know, suffer fools. And, and if you are writing a children's book, you really better make sure that each of the words is, you know, carefully thought through mm. and that you're not, that your ideas that you're presenting are not, um, to, you know, oversimplified. They're, they're much smarter than they, you know, than you would imagine. Right. Sort of you don't want to talk over to them. them, but you then you don't. don't want to talk below them either. Yeah, that's, that's an right. interesting the, point that you need to stay yeah. on their wavelength. So it was, it was a labored process. I had, as you noted at the beginning of the show, a wonderful collaborator, Ellen, yeah. and she, 
she really, um, you know, let me write and rewrite and, and writing is rewriting at the end of the day. Yeah. True. What, uh, in, in Florida, what do you uh, think about is the best time for foraging uh, here? In this, in, in the, what, what we would call winter up here, I think, uh-huh. you know, starting in January and February, what we, what would be the end of our winter and the big, in the, and the midst of the beginning of your spring, uh-huh. that's when you're going to really start to see, um, uh, the mushrooms start to sprout. My, my stepson actually lives in in the uh, Ocala area, and well, he, he sent needs me a to picture. Start a thing. Yeah, he sent me a picture <laughs> of a big, a big fairy ring of chanterelles in the middle of his lawn. Oh, uh, you know, in the sweet. middle of the of what we call winter. Now, I was looking out the window up here at the snow when he was sending me the. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the <laughs> he was showing off a little bit. Wasn't he was sho- <laughs> and, and he was he was strutting his stuff of what yeah. he learned as a child. I would we used think to that anything that's related to rainy seasons here would be around the times that would be relatable. Is that correct, or am I incorrect? I think you're absolutely correct. And and the relationship between mushrooms and rain is inextricable. Yeah. In other words, they are one of those things that they will not fruit without water. And actually, Merlin Sheldrake talks about this a lot in Entangled Life. Uh, so this this summer, for example, we had a very big drought up here in oh. New England, and mushrooming for for foragers like myself, we were slightly bereft. Yeah, no, we just, had a lot of rain here uh, for a couple months in a row, and they were everywhere mm-hmm. in my yard and in my mm-hmm. pots, and it's beautiful. Yeah, you so can beautiful. really see a direct relationship, right, Annie? Like if yeah. there's a big rainstorm, like oh, yeah. a day or two later, you can actually see them fruiting. Yeah, get your rain lilies and you get your mushrooms. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it when the when people on the gardening group they they uh, you know the. Um, uh, bird's nest mushrooms mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. how those little seeds in the center pop off and they are looking, they think they have scale on their plants and it's just the seed that popped off when the rain hit it. It exploded up in the air. Uh, it's uh, really funny to me. I have one suggestion for your listeners as they go into the Thanksgiving week oh, yeah. um, uh, regarding mushrooms and, and what's out there. Um Thanksgiving is a, is a terrific time to make a big centerpiece. And I like to go out into the woods or into, you know, in your case, you can go to the beach and the parks and the playgrounds and find some of the old turkey tails, the old mushrooms that have been there. And if you, like I said, when you start looking for them, they're everywhere. Yeah. And make a centerpiece out of nature of things that you have found and putting it in the middle of the table, whether it's moss and leaves and mushrooms. And yeah. it is the best it way. It is the best. You know, I used celebrate. to do that at my mother's house. I was always in charge because I'm an artist and I was always in charge of making the tablescape. And I would go in their back and, and uh, go and pick all the things that were out there and then make a beautiful assemblage of nature on the table. And certainly, Didn't it just make you feel so good. Oh, it was wonderful. It was beautiful. Mm-hmm. You couldn't buy it, mm-hmm. uh, and it was uh, appreciated by my conservative uh, family. <laughs> well, and it's a way of saying we are we are one with the indoors and the outdoors, yeah. and we bring it to the table. We're yeah. we're so grateful for everything. And there's that beauty everywhere. There's beauty yeah. everywhere if we look. Uh, I am so grateful uh, for you being here. This was so nice to get to know you on the phone before in this and I wanted to what a pleasure it has been it really has been and I wanted to see if there's something else that we missed that you'd like to say really quickly uh, before we we sign off 
Well, I mean, a, a huge shout out to the folks that are listening here that, you know, that you're tuning into a sustainable living show and curious about these topics and open to these conversations. Mm-hmm. It's, um, you know, we couldn't ask for more and, and we have a lot to maintain. We have a lot at stake. We have a lot online mm-hmm. and in terms of our environment and, and getting back into a, a personal relationship with it, whether it's through mushrooms or through moss or through plants or gardens or whatever, uh, the fact that people are turning their attention to that through your show is wonderful. And, you know, I just wanted to say we had two, we have two more calls, but I, we don't have time to take them on, I don't think. No, because I've got one cl- really fast. I can talk fast. I don't think so. All uh, right. But because uh, I have to announce some things at the end. But I'm so glad that you uh, that you came on. And, um, you know, your book is beautiful. And I recommend everyone to go uh, to her site, which is. Mason Goes Mushrooming. Mason Goes Mushrooming. And look for all the, the tips that she's been sharing, that Melly's been sharing over uh, the course of this uh, hour that we've been on the show. And uh, it is just a beautiful book. And it is a it would be a great uh, Christmas gift for a child, for sure. And in fact, I'm an adult, and I really enjoyed it. So <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard that a number of times. You know, if you're a parent, you have to read the bedtime story. Exactly. Sometimes you're the one that wants to pick the book. <laughs> That's true. You wanna, you're going to have to do that over and over again. You want to be yeah. able to enjoy it yourself. That's funny. Yeah. Well, thanks again, uh, Melly. Thank you, Annie. It was really a pleasure. pleasure. It was. It was. Well, uh, and if you if you like our program, y'all, please go to WMNF.org and donating through the, the tip jar. And you can direct it uh, your donation to the Sustainable Living Show, you know, because that's how we do this, all donations. And stay on next with Flea at WMNF Monday's Music. And for more public interest programming, the easy for me to say for more public interest programming you can go to WMNF's HD3 channel the source for Tom Hartman's show live and tune in next Monday morning at 11 for the next sustainable living show where we'll be talking with Virginia Overstreet about those magical looking creatures dragonflies. I'm excited. She's wonderful, too. She knows so many things. Follow our Facebook page, Sustainable Living WMNF, and read our blogs. I'm Annie Ellis. And remember, if you're looking for someone to change the world, look in the mirror. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. You too.